Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Coming up in just a bit, a metal recycling company on the city's north side has been causing problems for residents for years. Is Mayor Lightfoot finally doing something about it? But first, President Trump's new budget proposal is on the table, and if he gets his way, we could see major cuts to the social safety net. The president wants to boost spending for the Pentagon and Homeland Security while cutting Social Security and health care programs. President Trump's proposed budget includes about $1 trillion in cuts to Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act over a decade, analysts said. Raja Krishnamurthy is the congressman for Illinois' 8th District. That covers the northwest suburbs like Elk Grove Village, Schaumburg, and Elgin. And he joins me now with a Democratic response to the president's proposal. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. So this budget would slash SNAP benefits, also known as food stamps. I understand this was a program that your family relied on when you were a child, so it must be very personal for you. What would Trump's proposed SNAP cuts look like? What would it mean for people who use these services? It basically uh, amounts to tightening eligibility requirements. Uh, We actually conducted a hearing uh, just the other day uh, regarding this particular issue. And, you know, essentially what it does is it makes it harder for indigent or poor people, especially in high-cost areas such as Chicago or other metropolitan areas, from being able to access these benefits. And it also puts a lot of children out of reach of these benefits, and it, it disqualifies them even for school lunches. So it takes food out of their mouths, not only at home, but at school. And this is, this is appalling. And how, how does it reduce the eligibility of some people? Folks who are above 130% of the poverty line can be eligible for SNAP benefits if uh, after you deduct the cost of housing and transportation and other certain um, staple portions of their budget, uh, they are then at below 130% of the poverty line, they can then qualify for SNAP. Well, what President Trump is proposing is that they no longer have those deductions made and that 130 percent of the poverty line be the um, kind of absolute threshold all around the country, regardless of where you live, which makes no sense because it obviously costs a lot more to live in Chicago, for instance, than it does in a rural area or some other place in the United States. So it defies logic and it's also wrong. Well, Medicare and Medicaid under the proposal would also be cut. What sorts of cuts would we see there? Well, the president is proposing $600 billion in cuts for Medicare. Um, He's proposing $900 billion in cuts in Medicaid. He's also proposing to cut other agencies, uh, including uh, up to 27% of the EPA's budget. And he's also proposing to cut 10% of the Education Department's budget, among other things. This is a budget that is dead on arrival because uh, almost all members of our caucus and a lot of members of the other side are going to oppose them. So this is um, something that I believe is not realistic, and it also points the way forward to to a, a place that Americans don't want to go. Well, as you say, this is the president's initial budget proposal. It would be very unlikely for all of it to stay intact. But looking at the big picture, yes. what concerns you most about the plan? It points to a 3% growth rate in the economy, which we've never achieved. And it also uh, still projects a budget deficit of a trillion dollars, even in a year when the budget is enacted. It basically uh, 
refuses to make cuts in certain areas that um, should face certain cuts. So, for instance, the Defense Department, but it proposes large cuts in other areas where, uh, you know, vulnerable and others, including our children, by the way, uh, rely for uh, very um, important resources. Um, and so I don't think that this is really a realistic budget, and it points to values that, as I said, Americans don't subscribe to. Well, as you mentioned, uh, defense spending would increase by 0.3% in this budget proposal. The United States currently spends more on its military budget than the next seven countries combined. What I heard you say there was that you think this is a place where we could actually cut. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, one thing which uh, your listeners probably already know is that uh, Congress has a has a habit of actually spending more money on the military than even the commanders of the military want. And the reason is very simple. Basically, members of Congress ask for resources for their pet military boondoggles in a lot of parts of the country um, so that they can get more military spending in their congressional districts or their states. And, um, you know, we need to have a strong defense. We need to be prepared uh, militarily to deal with a variety of challenges. But when the commanders and the generals aren't asking for that money, we shouldn't be spending it there. On the other hand, you know, cutting HHS by 10 percent, including the CDC, at a time when we're dealing with the coronavirus makes absolutely no sense. It's absolutely the wrong direction uh, we should be going in. Well, during his State of the Union address last week, President Trump focused on the strength of the economy. Let's listen. Jobs are booming. Incomes are soaring. Poverty is plummeting. Crime is falling. Confidence is surging. And our country is thriving and highly respected again. The budget plan as it exists right now would extend the individual income tax cuts that were originally scheduled to expire in 2015. To your mind, is that the right move? The individual income tax cuts are problematic if it means that, for instance, uh, you know, we're going to have state and local tax caps at $10,000 per family, uh, which is a big problem in the Chicago area. I think it's a big problem if it means that corporations are going to pay zero dollars in taxes in a lot of instances when small businesses are paying the full corporate tax rate. So there are a lot of problems with the 2017 tax bill, and this budget only compounds them. And it's a missed opportunity for us to plan an economic future for this country that means more prosperity for everyone. So where is that opportunity to your mind? I think what we have to talk about is an economic vision where you know, folks who um, access our public schools can get a better quality education, not a future where they're seeing 10% cuts in the Department of Education. Um, I think it's a future where we actually combat man-made climate change, not a place where we see the department, the EPA, seeing a 26.5% cut. And it also is a future where we see um, our fiscal house put in order, not one where we see, you know, rosy projections of 3% and 4% economic growth that will never materialize and that leave our children and grandchildren saddled with enormous debt uh, for generations to come. So this is the the missed opportunity that I'm talking about. Are there specific policy moves you think 
you would encourage your your colleagues to to push on, um, whether there are additional tax cuts or places to cut outside of the military? What what's your priority right now? How do we make sure that the federal government isn't paying out the nose for prescription drug costs? Why aren't we talking about the the Medicare Part D program actually? being able to negotiate the price of prescription drugs, which is, by the way, gobbling up our uh, Medicare budget. We should also be talking about, you know, how do we make sure that we uh, put Social Security on a a proper footing? And that also means, um, you know, making sure that the cap right now, which is $132,400, doesn't end up meaning that a disproportionate share of the burden of Social Security falling on people who are, you know, basically poor and middle class. You know, we should be talking about that. We should also be talking about modernizing our defense budget and other programs such as career and technical education, which is a passion of my office, and how do we improve uh, education funding for those skills-based and vocational education programs, which are so crucial for the two-thirds of Americans who don't have a four-year college degree and aren't intending to get one. Well, just as we wrap up here, it's not likely that a budget will really take shape until after the presidential election. So how does that affect the way Congress works between now and November? Okay, so <laughs> it's an interesting uh, process of making sausage here. Basically, um, he puts this budget proposal forward, but then the various committees come up with their own plans and then submit it to the appropriators uh, who will then decide how much money gets allocated. And then it will require negotiation between the White House as well as Congress on what the final appropriated amounts are. Appropriation is just a fancy way around here of saying how much we're actually going to spend. And that will then become law Uh, for uh, the fiscal year ahead. And so that's really where the rubber meets the road. And so far, we've been able to protect a lot of programs against the most draconian cuts by the administration. That's Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy from Illinois' 8th District in suburban Chicago, giving his reaction to President Trump's budget proposal released yesterday. Congressman, thanks for making time for us. Hey, thank you so much. Let's turn to an environmental story. You've heard us talk recently about everything from lake levels to single-use plastic forks. Today, we want you to know about General Iron Industries. They're a scrap metal recycler on the city's north side. When you Google them, their headline says, quote, committed to being a good neighbor. But complaints about industrial pollution have been coming into City Hall for years. Health inspectors only cited them once during Mayor Emanuel's administration, but Mayor Lightfoot's health department has ticketed the company five times in the last two months. Chicago Tribune reporter Michael Hawthorne has been following the story and talks about a company that's been in the area around Goose Island since the early 1900s. At that time, it was tanneries, uh, steel mills, you know, just a little bit farther up the river, the Vienna Beef Factory. There's still a tannery that makes all the NFL football leather and leather for Major League Baseball gloves. But it's changed quite a bit in the last 20, 30 years. And gentrification of Lincoln Park, of Bucktown, those two north side neighborhoods, has increasingly squeezed this uh, scrapyard called General Iron. And now it's surrounded by 
a collection of now vacant industrial properties that, because the steel mills all left, the tanneries all shut down or moved somewhere else. And um, it's going to be redeveloped for this Lincoln Yards development that's been in the news a lot. And so the scrap shredder sticks out. It used to just kind of blend in with all the other industries in the neighborhood. It stands out. And when people call to complain, there's no one else to complain about who's left. So you can't blame it on the steel mill, the Finkel Steel Mill, which is now on the far south side, or one of these other operations. And uh, it's really when when you when you see it, it looks like something out of one of those Mad Max movies. It's all kinds of just like piles of smashed cars or flattened cars and and uh, used appliances and rebar and whatnot stacked up, coming in on barges on the Chicago River. And uh, when they shred this material, uh, it, it essentially comes into, you know, you, you, they shove a car into one of these shredders and it comes out like in, in shredded metal, you know, like kind of in little chunks the size of a coffee can. What were some of the complaints? Well, uh, especially it's the, it's the metallic odors and noise. But the metallic odors, um, researcher at UIC in like a very limited study found that there were higher levels of lung damaging particulate matter downwind from the facility on days when the wind was blowing toward the monitors that she set up. She was enlisted by a um, a member of the community who lives near the scrapyard who was frustrated that the city wasn't taking him seriously enough. And this is one of these operations where um, the U.S. EPA, the federal EPA here in Chicago, cracked down on this company three times uh, since the 1990s. That's Usually something that's only reserved for the big, heavy polluters, like, say, like U.S. Steel, the other steel mills in northwest Indiana. But you can't count on the feds to be watching every day or every week or month a facility like this. Uh, It takes a long time to build one of those cases at the federal level. Uh, But even uh, the most recent case was last year that they settled with General Iron. The company agreed to install this device that was supposed to burn off their emissions. But uh, in these tickets that an inspector from the Chicago Department of Public Health has written in the last couple of months, it confirms what people in the neighborhood have been talking about for years. And, and, and we should mention here, as we said, you know, previous inspections largely absolved General Irons of any wrongdoing. Somehow by the time the inspector showed up, the problems were magically gone. Hmm. And, but now, under the Lightfoot administration... Several inspections have happened. What has this most recent inspection found, or these most recent inspections found? The thing that really stands out to me is the very clear language in these inspections. There's no beating around the bush. The the inspector says, I smell the sweet sweet, uh, smell of of metal that burns my nostrils. Mm. She sees emissions escaping from the shredders. Those emissions are supposed to be going through a device that burns off the noxious uh, pollution. That's not happening, according to the inspector. Time and time again, every time she shows up, she sees that. She also sees shreds of uh, what they call it auto fluff, but they're, it's basically like bits of shredded cars and and appliances littering the sidewalk outside the facility. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to people in the neighborhood, they sweep off their porches and their decks of this material on a very routine basis. There's a business on Clybourne Avenue just a little bit east of the facility that has shown me uh, the air 
filters from their HVAC that they have to change every month or sometimes, you know, when the facility is really operating a lot, uh, almost weekly, and it's it's black with soot. Uh, This is something that people see with their own eyes. They smell with their own noses. And until recently, the city of Chicago somehow... uh, didn't see at all. So one citation for General Iron during former Mayor Rahm Emanuel's eight years in office, the same city department has taken it at the North Side Scrapyard five times. What's changed other than the Lightfoot administration? Well, that, right. That's, that's I, I asked the, the, the mayor's office about that and they gave kind of a, you know, one of the general mayor answers about, well, we're taking this seriously and this is part of our overall effort to, you know, clean up the city. But it's clear that that the old way of doing business, at least with this facility, has changed under Lightfoot. Uh, When Rahm Emanuel was mayor, this company spread a lot of money around to local politicians, including the mayor, the former mayor, and uh, half a million dollars. Greg Hines from from Cranes was the first person to notice this because the company that owns uh, General Iron, the LabCon family, has a history of suing each other and making all these pretty tawdry allegations against one another. And various uh, bits of information have come out in those lawsuits. For example, one of the more recent lawsuits in, in, a, in a defense document where the mother and one of the brothers uh, countersues the other brother, it's revealed that the two brothers had collected $64 million apiece over the past decade from this scrap shredder operation. That's a considerable amount of money. Now, Lightfoot got them to agree to move to the southeast side on a site where uh, steel mills used to exist as well. Those steel mills have been gone for a very long time. There are a lot of other polluting industries down there that uh, have come to the attention of, of the city, have come to the attention of the federal and state governments, and, and especially neighborhood groups. And those neighborhood groups are now asking Mayor Lightfoot and her administration, why would you allow this facility to relocate from an area where you have found repeated problems and then come to an area where there is well-documented proof of just environmental malady after malady? This is the part of the city where these huge mounds of petroleum coke were blowing uh, gritty dust into neighborhoods that you know forced the cancellation of little league games it's where uh, operations that store manganese for the steel industry blowing this toxic brain damaging metal into neighborhoods leading to what now is happening is a major cleanup of yards in that in that neighborhood why would you want another dirty industry so um, General Iron's spokesman gave this statement in part, not only are the city's citations inconsistent with the results of the recent tests performed for the state and federal EPAs, but they came after at least two years of regular weekly city inspections without any violations. Unpack that for us a little bit. Well, we don't know about the tests. So what happened was uh, this federal agreement that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago required the installation of this equipment at the north side site. The company has promised to move that same equipment to its new site. They also have promised that the, the new site will be way better than the one on the north side. It will be completely enclosed and the emissions will all be uh, properly controlled. You know, once again, just a few months after that that particular settlement with the federal government was brokered, here's the Lightfoot administration coming in and saying, "Look, you've still got problems." And uh, while the the spokesman's you know free to make the comment that uh, you know we've done this testing for the company's done this testing for the state and federal EPAs and found nothing wrong, 
the federal government at least says they're still reviewing the results. So we, we don't really know at this point. And unlike, I think it's an, an important point to make, and um, if you're not looking for this stuff, not not just here, but anywhere in the city, you're not going to find it. I mean, it's just kind of a simple right uh, calculation. The reason why eventually the the pet coke operations on the southeast side, while the manganese operations were either forced to leave the city or significantly improve their operations to prevent the pollution, one of the main reasons or main uh, tools that the city and and other governments used to get them to clean up their act was they required 24-7 air monitoring around the facilities. That's never been required at General Iron. And so it's essentially every now and then when they get in trouble, they have a very um, well-planned test under optimal conditions. And then they usually get a, a, you know, um, essentially like a vote of clean health and continue operating. And then every few years later or months later, people in the neighborhood find there are more problems. So really quickly, we have about a minute left. This move to the southeast side that's planned for General Iron. You said community members there are pushing back. Is there a possibility that that move won't actually happen? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, I think that's up for the mayor's office really to decide. The the state of Illinois was was, uh, kind of running clear on to, to give them the necessary permits, although the state also found out that the related operations, General Iron is now mostly owned by a company out of Cleveland, that company operates four other facilities already on this site, the former Republic Steel site on the Calumet River. They've been operating without the proper permits for the last four years. And then also uh, in September of this past year, the city cited them for excessive emissions of their own. So there there are questions about this new site and, and also uh, just where these scrap shredders should be located. Minneapolis has forced the some of these companies to move out of the city. California has uh, considered designating these facilities as hazardous waste sites. And so is the city of Chicago, is the federal and state government, are they taking this seriously enough? People in these neighborhoods would say no. That's Chicago Tribune reporter Michael Hawthorne. Michael, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. And that's today's Reset. If you like what you hear, we'd love your feedback. Hit us up on Twitter at WBEZ Reset, and I'm at Jay White Pub Radio. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again soon. Thank you.